It's the role of the entrepreneur and the companies to set these precedents because it is moving so fast. If you as a company are collectively too afraid to even experiment or get your hands dirty, then you're no different than me running off to a jungle and hiding from it. Welcome back to the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast. This is part two of our conversation with futurist and frontier tech pioneer, Sam Rad. In this concluding segment of our conversation, we are taking an up-close look at the impact of our age of acceleration and the mindset shifts needed in order to succeed. Today, Sam shares on the importance of maintaining optimism amidst growing uncertainties and how emerging technologies can be used for the betterment of society. I'm your host, Chris Allen, and this is the Entrepreneur's Studio Podcast, helping you run and grow a better business. One of the things that I think is really important about the work that you're doing is helping people imagine what's possible to reduce the sort of, I'd say, influence and impact of fear in order to adapt. So t- tell us a little bit about like when you talk about the blockchain to AI to immersive realities and things like that, do that for this audience, right? Go, this is what is likely to happen. Imagine a world like this. I mean, how many different worlds do we want to imagine, right? It's like the multiverse. So um, I can say what's not very quickly and I won't go into imagine this, but it's of course we see the narratives, particularly with AI through like Hollywood and all of this of like the the robot takeover and the Terminators and like the, the wars. Of, of these. And totally. I myself, you know, I do this exercise to imagine and visualize like quite deeply in meditations all the time. And I go there. I spend most of my time traveling to these like very scary possibilities. We all have to. Um, that's facing the fear. I do this organizations too. Any sort of strategic planning or, or simulation planning will like often go to worst case scenario first. Yeah. So you plan for it. Cool. It's good that we know we can handle worst case scenario, but uh, like we don't spend a lot of time saying imagine, imagine this optimistic future. So, you know, I'm still painting that picture in my head, but I tend to think of either the book Reinventing Organizations or Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, right? This idea of fulfilling the human needs with self-actualization yeah. being on top, and the bottom of the pyramid being very basic needs like food, shelter, you know, and it's a very fear-based mindset mm-hmm. where we're scarcity, scarce, mm-hmm. protective over our resources and resource guarding, you know, and, and some of the structures that came from it. So imagine, right, if these technologies that are we're bringing forth, if we do instill values of, let's say, abundance or humanity into them, in the way that we train, let's say, AI. So let's say there's AI that's actually trained on empathy, and we do like what I do and, and personify uh, the AI and read bedtime stories and poetry and say like, here's the beauty in the world. Here's what the wind feels like on your face. Here's like why trees are important, you know, for, totally. for the planet. And then we see this as a counterpart to us, like as a emergent consciousness in addition to humanity that can help us to create a, a future where we solve these very basic needs. Because, I mean, it's not been a technological problem why we don't solve the problems of like feeding people on the planet and making sure everyone has clean drinking water. This is social, it's geopolitical. Well, perhaps, you know, 
one thing that humans are not great at is governance. In every uh, revolution of like technology I've been involved in, like blockchains in particular, they're like, oh, let's build this network. What about governance? We'll figure that out later. Yeah. Now we see it again with AI. Oh, it's too late. We'll figure it out later. Well, maybe we let it figure them, it, the, the thing, you know, propose some potential answers. And I think, again, I don't know if I necessarily agree with delegating trust or uh, governance to, to, to that. To AI. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm thinking out loud. If we're trying to, to like visualize that where we have this sort of counterpart um, that can help with more of the logistical or logical side, the left brain thinking that since the enlightenment thinking, right, and renaissance, humanity had this delineation between the creativity and what we now call soft skills, the more human intuitive stuff that's actually our superpowers. And we decided <laughs> we're gonna value like spreadsheets and logic. Maybe there's something that, that now will do that a bit better and we can solve some of these very basic problems where then we're able to, let's say, go into the next golden age of enlightenment, of culture, of ideas, of consciousness, mm -hmm. right? Like there, I, I just gave a talk in Dubai and I heard that came out of my mouth, like the next, for them, there was the Islamic golden age around that same time of uh, enlightenment thinking, right? It was happening around the world. From, because of a number of technologies yeah. that kind of pushed people forward in our collective evolution. I think we're at that point. I think we've been at that point for yeah. like a decade and we, we uh, messed up. We weren't ready, you know, we, we just kind of weren't. And I think now we're presented with another opportunity where we have yet another emergence of technologies that will help satisfy the basic needs. Mm -hmm. So maybe in the past it was like, oh, we can cook food, we have indoor lighting, we can do agriculture, you know, <laughs> and uh, now we can travel, information travels instantly. Okay, so what's next is maybe we figure out more efficient governance or payment systems or ways of doing things that actually can um, satisfy basic needs mm -hmm. that gives us time and space to be creative. And that's not to say like, be lazy, everything's satisfied and now we, we chill out. Because I think there's a fundamental impulse in humanity to create mm -hmm. and be entrepreneurial in whatever ways. But then it's like, what, what do we do next? And so I actually see when I really sit, if, if we can make it through again, when we make it through this, I won't say if, another like sort of a golden age of uh, philosophical, intellectual, artistic thinking. Mm -hmm. for humanity. Mm -hmm. I, can, can I illustrate what that actually is? I don't know, but hopefully it's a reconnection to self and to, to communities, to our planet. I mean, this yeah. has been my manifesto on my web website for like years. And I really mean it. Like, why do I do what I do? I often write it down just so I remind myself. And it's, you know, wanting to see technology or technologies used for the betterment of society, the reconnection between myself and me like mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Each other, yeah. communities, local communities are, um, again, our, our, our planet. The big decision point here is making sure that we see that as a possibility, first and foremost, and then working backwards. What is it we need to do today to start to track towards that? And so for me, having been involved in, let's say, three companies that was early in artificial intelligence. I don't often talk about the, those companies. You know, I was so kind of big in the blockchain space for a bit. But 
you th- you have to think about governance. Like, where is the data that is feeding any of these systems coming from? Yeah. It's coming from social networks. What I was sitting there studying in college, looking at people saying, what are they doing? And why were those networks designed the way that they are based on advertising based business models? Yeah that need eyeballs, that need people fighting so that there are eyeballs. Oh, and now we're feeding that into algorithms. They must not think very highly of human beings. Mm -hmm. So then you are going to get that Terminator future. You will. Yeah. And it does exist. I think all of these these, uh, infinite potentialities, even in like a quantum realm, and I would also, I don't like predict, but very soon this will be part of the collective uh, consciousness or discourse. Like yeah. people will, this will be the next technology of the moment. Mm-hmm. And not just in terms of quantum computing, but actually quantum mechanics and quantum field theory and actually the the neural networks, the connections between humanity. I, don't, I think like University of Ottawa released a image of quantum entanglement, like mm-hmm. proving that now. Uh, so I think very soon we'll start to really understand a bit more of like the the internet beyond the internet. Yeah. And I think again it's important if uh, again I don't need to go into the day to day of like here's here's like our shiny future with, with um like the happy trees and flowers but there's there's this interim period where I often will illustrate kind of like the stop gaps in between and Look, any of these tools can be used to build bridges or destroy those bridges. Yeah. You know, growing up our age group, you end up seeing, you know, your grandparents or even now your parents struggle with technology. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like we're going to see the age of acceleration. Things are going so fast that it's almost like your friend is going to struggle with technology. Yeah. Not just like people who are older and it didn't grow up with it, right? You're going to see people that are going to struggle to kind of adapt. And it's almost like how do people really not get left behind and still participate in a society that's gonna be, I would imagine technology rich, you know what I mean? Rather than technology poor in the future. How do people not get left behind, you know? Huh, well, it's probably in their best interest to get left behind. I mean, I often think, I, I try to reframe in my mind and actually do like kind of the opposite of what I would think. So. I was having a discussion recently, and this was in the context of these immersive realities. So, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the VR headsets, but also the chips, Neuralink, like chips in the brain. And I'm yeah. not necessarily an advocate for any of this. I actually, you know, around this, we were talking about the concept of privilege, socioeconomic privilege, and that the privilege is more access to these technologies. And I actually just took a step back and I said, huh. I wonder if, you know, I think the actual privilege is that is not tapping into these things yeah. and like farming. And, you know, I think there will need to be a, a basic literacy of the way that the that world works. And I think in the interim, there's probably going to be a pretty strong delineation between like the plugged in and the unplugged. Yeah. And so it's maybe more of a, a bridge to be built between these these two very distinct realities. And I'm not talking about this from like a left behind privilege. It, it'll it's more like there's probably a abundance existing in both mm. lifestyles. And I, I myself go between both. You mm. know, like I last year was living off grid in like jungle of Costa Rica, like 
picking from yeah. the trees barefoot and drinking water from a spring. <laughs> and, and I'm like, ha, ah, this is, you know, and then like live in New York City. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, totally the, the most plugged in possible and, and getting to see all the things like my identity being scanned to go into the Whole Foods mm-hmm. um, and such. And, you know, I think there's beauty to both. I don't think there's like a better or worse. I don't really like to see things in terms of like duality of that respect, but in terms of, yeah, the speed of change and even peers um, not being able to keep up for sure. I myself, right. And I like, this is my role, my, my job, my career at this point, I'd say like, I like pretty much feel like I live in the future and just like come back to share stories. And like, I don't even, there are moments where I'm like, what, what is happening? Is it, you know? And, um, uh, I think the more that we can just kind of experience and again, share stories, share perspectives. Uh, I don't think it's so much now about like hands-on education, but I do do hands-on, like, again, back to this concept of fear. So let's say something as simple as like chat GPT. Uh, so, right, like talking with the language model for people who, you know, maybe haven't worked with it or, um, you know, talking with AI to generate an image. So again, I'm living in this jungle. This is a year ago, last fall, and I like disappear. I unplug off-grid for two weeks just because I needed it. I come out and everyone's like, Sam, what's chat GPT? How do I use it? And I was like, what happened in two weeks? It was fast. And I myself felt fear because in 2020, so like, let's rewind way back in the research of like 2008, 2009, I'm living in the virtual world. I have a virtual avatar, not with my name. She was ShamWow OxyMoxie based on these infomercials, like the ShamWow and OxyClean. I didn't think I'd like live in this world. So I jokingly made this thing and it became the identity but it keeps coming back. And so uh, 2020 lockdown, I'm the CEO of a company that was very early in a number of like forms of artificial intelligence. So generative AI, both in terms of language models, voice, voice to text, Mm -hmm. uh, also image and and video avatars essentially. So it was all of it, right? And I being curious, because I'm a hands-on person, if I feel uh, uncertainty, if I feel fear, I go straight towards it. Mm. I have to like unpack it, um, maybe unhealthily so. And so I'm like, okay, I'm seeing all these technologies that soon will be in the hands of consumers because we're like R and deep R and D research. So I combine them, and I um, basically build a virtual clone of myself. And uh, so I create the the virtual like the rendering of the my likeness. Sam Rad. The virtual Samrad. She yeah, she's trademarked. She she has her own existence, like doing her own thing, it, you know. And trained my voice, all my books and poetry, right? Like uh, read that and trained it into the model to the point that she could actually like create her own speech, and do this on my behalf. And I freaked out. I had an existential crisis. I will be completely honest about it because I was like, what even is my role here anymore? Like on the storytelling we talk about. What, and it was almost like a metaphor for this change for the collective society, these changes we're experiencing now. So again, I kind of like disappear for a year. I said, okay, do I delete myself off the internet again uh, and go away or do I face this head, head on? Um, and so clearly I'm here, so you know yeah. the decision I made. And uh, decided, all right, I'm going to help 
help people understand it and not from fear because I felt that same fear when I go into rooms now and I will sit and I work with an audience and I start the, the day where I feel, I'd say 100% are like either timid, fearful, filled with hate, scarcity, like it's, it's strong. Yeah. And hopefully we go on a journey that we can walk out and be a little more like, okay, or even enthusiastic. And so something simple now, yeah, it's accelerating, but it's not like to the point that you're, I, I use this analogy of riding the wave, of surfing the wave. So it's just, you've got to learn to surf yeah, and paddle out there and just like let it carry you. But even if you get clobbered, it will release you as, as they usually do with surfing. I'm not a great surfer. I'm actually not so, I, the ocean is very powerful, but yeah. So, you know, I kind of hit, went backwards to my process of working with these technologies. And now I'll, I'll sit with people and just say, all right, let's, let's actually like use chat GPT or use mid journey to make an image and, and like feel how that feels mm -hmm. and know that, okay, it's not going to replace, like, I'm not going to write my next book with this, thing, you know, like that's yeah. it. But like actually understand how you can collaborate because that's really the future, at least in this context of artificial intelligence. It's, it's not replacing humanity, this technology, or these personified versions. Yeah. It's augmenting. It's it's a new kind of like work partner or yeah, friend or yeah. something. So I think if you can get past that, and again, that's sort of the, the work of not getting left behind. I don't think it's so much of what are the programs we put in place in terms of technology or innovation education. We have that infrastructure. Mm -hmm. It's more like, fear and uncertainty development and, and and that that I think is really what we need to do to empower people to not get left behind. Yeah. That's what I would say the, the biggest risk that we run and as a country too. Mm -hmm. And why even um, I won't knock regulators. It's just we're too, we're too slow. I mean, I was in the yeah, blockchain space and I, I educate uh, especially on like fiscal policy, you know, and I'm in the right place here of like um, if I had one bit of feedback on that journey was that we were a little slow as a country to just like make sense of it. And it's good to be deliberate. But um, I now do say this to, to companies. Companies, it's the role of the entrepreneur and the companies to really to, to set these precedents because it is moving so fast. Yeah. And if you as a company are like collectively too afraid to even like experiment or get your hands dirty, then you're no different than me running off to a jungle and hiding from it. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna yeah. find me even there. So, uh, you know, it's not like, a, it's certainly not a threat. It's just- um, It's a likely reality. It's, it's, yeah, it's more, again, it's like, yeah. it's not so much the practical hands-on knowledge because that's going to move so quickly that it almost doesn't matter. Again, when I, I do a lot of, let's say, uh, workforce of the future, workforce development, that's quite popular right now mm -hmm. in terms of, um, asks of companies of me. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, right? I can like spit out the 10 roles of the future that'll be relevant next week. And that's going to change in another yep. week. I can guarantee, I show you articles of, uh, I think there's an AI role called prompt engineer. It's someone who talks to chat GPT as a job, like, you know, for, mm -hmm. for quite, quite a lot of money. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then there's an article the next day, that's not the role of the future. The next role is that. And so I'm like, how do you as a company, small or l large, 
shape a workforce that you can't hire for that role and then yeah. like lay that person off in six months. Because it's no longer the thing, yeah. Or reorg your whole thing. And this is very testy. I'm sorry if I bring, but like I've been in a lot of, uh, get brought in usually when people are in moments of transition, right? That's my job. And I made a joke with one organization about like, you can't go through a reorg every six months. And they had just gone through a reorg. And uh, it was a little tense, but it, but it's the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can't, this is the example of if we operate on these mindsets and structures of the past, even having job titles. I don't, I don't know, I think we will need structure. We're human beings, we need structure, we need governance. We probably need understanding of roles. But those roles are going to change. It's just like, you know. Yeah, so it's I, like, what, <laughs> where is it going to end up? I think one of the things that is important is people imagining uh, how these, I'm going to say, new elements, components, AI, you know, all the stuff we've just been talking about, how those enter society and become a part of it. I'm hearing you say that a likely outcome is an enhancement to augment, mm. right? Not necessarily to replace our reality, even though there's subcultures, you know, that probably are happening where there is a replacement where we are in kind of ready player one land. You know what I mean? But I think one of the things that's got to drive it is what I, I see you kind of pointing at is, I'm going to say guardrails, governance, principles, values have to be driving those things. So talk to us about like, you know, so it's all social impact, right? So like talk about like ethical practices with AI. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the things that, sh that should be shaping our thinking of people that are developing the technologies and then also, you know, how we're, we should be using them. Oh, this is a can of worms. And again, I, I, yeah. I take bits of my own personal journey and my own personal ethics, which um, I think are different, are unique to each person. I think they're of course universal. Yeah. Not everyone Truth. shares our values. Oh yes, yeah. right, and I, I accept that. I think there are some that should be universal for sure. And that's the age old, philosophical and religious debate on morality and ethics. Yeah. But, and I have also seen this across every emerging technology I've been uh, so fortuitous to be, you know, involved in. So this is no different than, than, than the past though, certainly more profound shifts that will, will take place in society. And I'll say the same thing I've always said. I think in terms of governance, it can't be owned by it. I mean, the, the direction of who's writing uh, the programs or the algorithms or the protocols in the case of blockchains uh, should not be owned by any one company or government. Mm. It's simply, it's like, you know, it doesn't really make sense. Um, if we can, again, imagine a reality that is completely, let's say not fully immersive, like a Ready Player One, but there's a likelihood that that does exist too. We're mm -hmm. already like, again, we're in this this little metaverse right now oh, yeah. that will go out into some other existing reality where like viewers will see this, it will exist beyond this existence yeah. and persist for quite some time. Who governs that? Who then has the right to like copying, you know, like creating yeah. other stuff. So um, I think it's, you know, we already live in that and you know, what is the motivation then? Like, so not just the governance of who owns it, who owns your story. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone should own your story. And by story, I mean like everything that, that constitutes you, your journey, your existence, but also your data. Mm -hmm. um, there should, there are definitely new models for like democratization or decentralization of data because that's kind of the foundation of all of this. 
the design of the algorithms themselves. Again, I'm just like completely thinking on the fly. So, yeah, so I'm going to be permanently quoted for the, the, the ethical standards I'm setting uh, based on my belief system. But I think the design also of the, um, the algorithms needs to be transparent. So much as a black yeah. box, like when I think even in the US, we've, you know, credit scores, you're like, what makes it go up and go down? But it's more transparent than, let's say, some other places around the world that oh, was just great getting into China. <laughs> They're like, don't. I think the way that we're talking about, you know, social impact, one, one of the things that is, um, it's really clear is that everything is really unclear with... <laughs> You know, like like you said, I, I like how you were saying, you know, uh, data decentralization and, and really not any, any one person having like a grip yeah. on that. And I think that that is a deviation from the way business has been conducted, the way banking has been conducted, the models that we have. That's a, that's a fundamental shift. And so what do you think that, you know, are we going to have more of these sort of uninformed Senate hearings? You know, like what, what do you think is like the path to creating some of the, like if there's anything that we struggle with as humans, it's agreeing on things, Yeah. right? Yeah. There's endless debate, right? And, and if you think about the space and time between endless debate and the pace of technology, that is real tension. You know what I mean? You know, I, I think I wouldn't say it, it's by design, but um, in this way, like Pandora's box has been open. Yeah. But it might almost be exactly what we need as humanity to realize we can't uh, agree or control. And it's a little bit too late mm. and not in a fear way, obviously like last year, like six month pause, like as if that will yeah. do anything. And I think the recent you know, seeing kind of recent guidance coming out here of, of this country, I've seen like a lot on AI specifically. Uh, so much debate around that. I don't, I haven't formed my thoughts, but I, certainly the, the people coming out of the world that I spent a lot of time, the, mm -hmm. the innovate, Silicon Valley innovators being, oh, this is stifling innovation. I think lack of guidance stif stifles innovation. I will speak from the, the blockchain world. And again, I was never on the crypto side. I built infrastructure you know, that yeah. supported these networks or create protocols that became ultimately things like an NFT, like before it was defined. But even that, it was impossible to like, I, you know, I, I don't want to operate in gray area. I'm, speaking of yeah, ethics, yeah. like I, I want to see what a regulation is and know that I'm following uh, a protocol or a law or whatever we want to say. I don't yeah, want to, yeah. I'm not of the mindset that like, Ooh, let's, let's wait and see. Plenty of others operate that way. That's fine. I don't think we're in a time period where, th where that would be the most prudent behavior for anyone just ethically, you know, of like, Hey, we're going to play around with how far we can, we can push. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like not just playing with fire. It's, you know, like Play with nuclear like a weapons. Bomb, a nuclear weapon and yeah. being like, I'm going to defuse this myself and rewire it. It's, you know? Yeah. And the only way actually to, uh, let's say, learn from our mistakes and what I did appreciate from some of the, op the open source movement and this very like cyberpunk open source that led into the, the crypto people is that they did build in public, right? These yeah. ledgers are public. And so, Yes, it's very easy in the mainstream media from that space to be like, all these, it's, you know, Bitcoin's died a hundred times, like 500 times since it, and, uh, you know, all these failures and this hack and this stuff, but we're seeing it 
the experiments in public. Yeah. So while it seems like it's actually like this is terrible, it's it's good because we're we're seeing and we can learn from mistakes and mm -hmm. we can build again. Again, the DAO, the first decentralized autonomous organization, an experiment in collective governance in 2016. You know, and my company at the time was kind of more on the experiment of the governance side, submitted some proposals for what that could look like. I mean, that was hacked, that that group, and led to the fork of Ethereum, yeah. and, you know, for $50 million, I think. And, you know, you could look at that and say, oh, it's terrible, this won't work. Or you could say, wow, that was a cool experiment to allocate 50 million in funds in a new way. And now since then, we've seen a whole revolution of people doing this in new ways. Um, I think this is where we are with e this next set of technologies that there is no possible way this can happen in a black box. We, we need to like probably transparently see what's going into the models, but also then from a perspective, again, I don't love talking about things like national security, geopolitics. It's just not, it's not my domain. <laughs> it's a, I, I stay like society and technology. There's the elephant in the room that the other experts can can dig into, but I, I understand that, you know, obviously we cannot like, as people lay out our, our cards for everything, all these things, especially with such powerful technologies, but it is important, you know, sir, I don't think anyone really wants to build like an authoritarian, oppressive future. And yeah. I think we run the risk if we um, don't, uh, as individuals, like have a, a, a say in what's going on to the, the development of the mm -hmm. systems, you don't even like know what you, what you should be doing or not. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's like complex. The, it's weird, the internet of AI, it's really interesting because it's not, there's not just one massive AI, you know, it's like, there's a lot of this stuff that's that's converging, and it's it's going to be really it's going to be really interesting uh, to to see what happens. I think one of the things that I, I like your approach about sort of reducing the fear, and I, you know something that I just as like a to bring it back to you know business and entrepreneurship. You know, we're talking about ethics, you know, t talking about ethics of these technologies. But one of the things that you brought up earlier was something I'd never heard anybody describe as a skill which was the sociopathic type skills. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so- Yeah, to, or to, malformed to, human. Yeah, human. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, I think just bringing it back to that for a second, I think it's important as we, if you think about the, those models and the way business has been run, and you have these you know, sociopaths just not having a, a conscience, right? That mindset is a really big part of the companies building these technologies. Again, I'm gonna go for it since we're here and I just, I speak from the heart. When you, we went through this journey of my past startups, mm -hmm. I had a, <laughs> and I filmed that first one, right? And it was kind of like ended up co-opted for reality TV. And I was a, a very outspoken individual even then. So imagine this, but at 20 years old, so a little more hot-headed, yeah. not as a- <laughs> There was more energy, yes. There was a lot more energy. And so I have this fight and I, I hope I never find the footage, but it was basically on this topic. Mm -hmm. I, and I wouldn't say, um, look, I'm idealistic, but that doesn't mean I don't, I am not actually, very cynical and I see all all the shadow and the dark side. I just make a choice to reframe us. That doesn't mean I don't see it. And, and frankly, I probably see far more than people know. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I always say like, 
uh, girl with the dragon tattoo vibes is me. You yeah, know, okay. I love doing fraud fraud stuff. I have a fun speech coming up on think. I call it uh, think like a criminal, act like an agent. Right, like, uh, we, we got to get go. there. So this, I have this big fight, an ethical fight of you know someone basically saying, you have so many superpowers, but you you're stupid essentially. You're so naive to think that you can do succeed in this world and maintain your ethics. Mm. You need to play by the rules of this other game and outsmart them at their own game of chess, but by using those tactics. And I was like, no way ever am I doing this. And I still think at least in my life path, I've, I'm quite happy with my success. Mm. Uh, I frame it differently than $10 billion company. Yeah, unfortunately, I think parts of uh, certainly the business world have valued skills. Uh, again, it's, let's say, a very extreme version of logic. Mm -hmm. So again, if we rewind to like the points in society where we created this distinction between left and right brain, thinking or feeling, and we deprioritized creative feeling feminine energy, this, mm -hmm. this sort of on, on the collective level. Now, if you take logic, which is, there's nothing wrong with it. The, the ultimate goal is to find that balance within uh, for everyone. But we, we put too much emphasis there and then we took it to an extreme. So what is extreme logic? The absence of feeling, like, right, spectrum. So in that world, then the inevitable conclusion was going to be sociopathy is the skill set that you need yeah. to be the ultimate logician. Now we have AI, which is basically a sociopath by unless, design. Yeah, unless you teach it. You know, to have a conscience, which, which is why I say I read poetry and bedtime stories to mine because, like, if it's already we know it's starting from that benchmark, we need to meet in the middle. But humanity, we have some problems because we've deprioritized that uh, right brain, this thinking. Mm -hmm. This, it's not thinking; it's feeling. Yeah. And and again, it's soft skills, all of these things that have sound foofy and especially me, I, I don't want to bring gender into it, but you know, as a woman business owner, when I was like, <laughs> I'm going to feel my intuition about how this business deal. Like I didn't like shaking that person's hand. They feel like mm -hmm, something mm -hmm. fell off about that. Okay, then I need to make a spreadsheet of data to prove that, that feeling, right? And I'm fine to communicate in both ways, but maybe we should also develop Right, this 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 feeling, this yeah. intuition, because it is a, a human superpower. It does exist. I, I certainly hope there isn't a place. I think maybe like in in the way that ecosystems and just like grand systems tend to strive for equilibrium, they always do. That perhaps again, AI is something that can come in and almost replace this sort of sociopathic thinking in humanity that ultimately will push us back to the center. I mean, I'm not like I've done scientific research on this and no, I'm just thinking on a whim at this point and I like what's what I'm hearing. Uh, it sounds, you know, like true. <laughs> I've not like rehearsed this. I have no idea. Um, like, there's definitely a book coming from this conversation. It should, yeah. yeah Hello. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Hello yeah. to the, the, this one's good though. I, I do like this, um, this, this spectrum. And again, I don't pass judgments towards um, the way that maybe like we've, gotten there as a society to value the ab thinking with the absence of feeling. I won't like diagnose it as mm -hmm. sociopathy, but like it's certainly 
something that's a little broken, mm-hmm. a lot broken. Yeah. Because this is the type of decision making that then leads to again. I've been in leadership positions where I do look at spreadsheets, and I instead of looking at people, their numbers. I even started thinking at some point when I'm waking up, why do we call? Uh, it was a consumer uh, communication platform, global communication platform. Why do we call them users? It's like an addict. You know, and we're yeah. using them and we're yeah. just extra. And I'm like, I don't want to call them their people. You know, what, what, and, but those are the business metrics. And that's what I'm saying to investors. And it's so deeply ingrained that, you know, it's these really small but big changes that need to rehumanize the connections. But also, still, like, I get it. You sometimes need to disconnect to, to make tough calls. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say we're in like a bad place. We are where we are as mm-hmm. humanity. But I, again, I'm deeply empathetic. And it was something I, I tried to turn off for a long time in the business world. And I simply cannot. Like I'm so um, driven by my own personal set of values and ethics. And again, mine are, are going to be different from yours and yeah, from the yeah. next person. Though I think we probably have some collective ones we agree upon. And sometimes I just have, I mean, I worked in supply chain uh, for five years. The, the blockchain company was, I saw every, where everything on this planet comes from and it's not pretty, right? Yeah. And, and um, you know, holding that and really thinking like, why do we do this? You know, it makes me emotional. But then I'm like, you know, there, there's definitely better ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Like to make stuff, just plain and simple, make food for people, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I have, I'm optimistic that perhaps even, again, the role of these technologies can push us back to center. Yeah, I like that. Well, you know, as a futurist, you know, you, you're, you've given us some insights into what things might look like for us. What, what is, I don't know, what is Samrad doing in 10 years? <laughs> Hopefully uh, still here and not like uh, 50 virtual Samrads going around the world. 10 years. You know, so much happens even in the span of a day these yeah. days. I, I have a really hard time um, framing myself within the greater concept of time. And when I think of like what has happened even in my personal life over 10 years, people are like, how have you done all of these things yeah. in that time? I don't like, I don't You packed know. a lot in there. I packed a lot. I move, yeah. <laughs> I move really quickly. And, and um, I really hope we get to some of these things that I am uh, sharing right mm-hmm. now in that time frame. Uh, I do acknowledge that there's probably a transitional period that's a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And right now that's where I'm just like putting my energy into <laughs> yeah. blazing that trail. Um, but hopefully that 10 years from now, Sam Rad version is like hanging out with with people and we're we're enjoying building whatever the next phase of companies, systems, communities uh, that come next. You know, like in terms of like quite literally what what I, I, I see happening for, uh, again, it's, it's beyond me. Anything at this point that I do feels like I am truly of service. I don't really have an interest in, in so much of my personal mm-hmm. journey. I mean, I do, I care, <laughs> I'm like a, yeah. I'm, I'm an individual, but, um, you know, I've noticed a lot more recently with just like even conversations like this or like books that I'm writing, there's so many and the, the formats that they'll they'll take on, it's more people will give feedback. Like it's like you've read my mind or you're mm-hmm. tapping into, you're saying the things I'm thinking. And I think the more that, again, 
I'm able to, to do that and more other people can do that. And we create these shared feelings and experiences you know, we're able to form that reconnection. So certainly what I will be doing, I don't know like the day-to-day of my life, but I do know it will be continuing to to foster these connections. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I have some floating, you know, like some robots around that (laughs) we're hanging out too. You know, Deborah. Deborah, my drone, yes. Your drone. Well, we've talked about a lot of things uh, today and you've shared, I'd say a lot of really good insights. I'm curious as we close, like what's one thing that, you know, listeners should remember as they navigate this, you know, changing business landscape, how can they prepare for the future? What are like a couple of things that we need to be thinking about? I mean, I have three and this, this is like, I, it always, it seems almost like reductionist because it's so easy to say these words, but the first being like recognize it's not so much that the changes that are taking place, like focusing on the specifics of them. Um, Again, so like the headline of today, or is it about AI? Is it about quantum? Is it about something else we have not heard of yet? But more just, it's not so much about the specifics. It's more the mindset shift. Mm. So... You know, we were talking offline about some of my hobbies, my my behaviors in extreme sports. Um, and again, I used to uh, be a competitive skydiver, um, and then switched into to scuba diving. And both of these are like different contexts, either in the air or underwater. Yeah. That's not like land right here. And um, I tell this story often of my third solo skydive of what ended up being like seven over 787, but like more of these jumps, this is my third. And, you know, I will talk to people and say like, what is your, your impulse? If I was like to come push you out of your chair, what would your body do? I would lean forward. Yeah. You would do something like brace. And that's the opposite of what you do. Jumping out of an airplane, you're actually supposed to like relax and like your body feels falls normally or as it should. But my brain was wired jumping out of this thing to like go grab for something and brace. And that made me tumble. And I ended up getting like completely tangled in my parachute and and it was terrible. I survived, obviously I'm still here. But um, you know, I use this example because it's like a shifting reality. And it's not just like we've gone from land to the sky or like scuba, we're underwater and now all of a sudden can breathe. It's, It's like we're floating in space. We don't even have gravity. And if we are building, building like our lives, our businesses with this, um, the mindset of like what's worked in the past or what works in the now, it's just not going to work. You're going to like tumble, you know? Um, It's like trying to swim in space where there's no gravity, you you know, or uh, friction. So that's the one, like recognize that that's how it will feel. And that's the the sort of, um, you might not know what the, the skills or actions are, but know that it's different. Two, then adaptability. So understand that, that not only it's one shift, it's going to feel like many, 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 constantly every day mm. over time, just when you find your bearings, it'll probably change again. And, um, you know, kind of just riding this wave and staying optimistic about it and not so much getting into the fear mindset. And then like ultimately, and this is my, my big takeaway as an, a person, a human being, an anthropologist, is you know celebrate humanity, mm-hmm. like really just in your day to day connections, like 
talk to other people, uh, support your communities, build your businesses in ways that are thinking about the human beings on the other end of that exchange. Yeah, and that, that's the most important thing. I love it. Well, uh, I have some rapid fire questions for you now. Nice, yeah, let's do ready? it. What is a quirky fact about yourself that people just don't know? I have really specific knowledge of lots of things, like in a neurodivergent way, probably like dogs. I know a lot about dog breeds. That is awesome. That's a really weird fact. I don't know. <laughs> I, that's what we were yeah. asking for. It's like it, it, you would be great in a trivia yeah, game. Yeah. If you were a character in a video game, what would your special power be? Flying. Okay. Or por creating portals. Ooh. I like the video game. How do you like play games? I don't awesome. know. I'm, I studied games in my masters, like video games and Portal 2 was one of the best. It was just like really great physics, but also, yeah, you're kind of like an open portal and go to different realities. That's awesome. But it, like bringing other people through through the portals too. That's so good. Yeah. Well, if you could have a conversation with one historical figure about the future of technology, who would it be? Ada Lovelace, who is Lord Byron's daughter, who is like kind of invented the computer. I feel like it would have, she seemed like a cool, like artsy person. She wrote a lot about art too. Yeah. Um, and I think now would be relevant. I think a lot about like Tesla, Nikolai Tesla, like mm -hmm. free and abundant energy and being able to invent this at a time where the reason that didn't happen was not because the technology wasn't there. It was because they were competing economic interests. Yeah. yeah, right. Uh, to to build these power lines and don't want to get into like economic conspiracy theories. But I think it would be interesting to actually see his perspective now, like yeah. looking back at like the way that things played out, and then maybe see how we can. Yeah, like now, like what is the approach we take? Again, like people. Uh, yeah, sure, I'm a technologist. I'm much more an anthropologist, storyteller, human person who studies, who just happened to study the impacts of technologies. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not so much on that perspective, but it's been abundantly clear to me that technology is not the problem, never has been. The ability to do pretty much anything we could imagine in science fiction exists today, and it has for quite some time. <laughs> we get in our own ways, like humanity, based on these like faulty systems we design for ourselves and like our own individual ethics or lack thereof, or like desire for power or ownership. I mean, like, I don't really know. It's It makes no sense to me, but it makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, when do you think we're gonna be able to uh, use Bitcoin to just buy a coffee? Never, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, uh, uh, well, I think first there will probably be like the central bank digital currency period of time. I think there's a reason why we didn't like jump straight in, into that world. And again, like I, um, it's coming, but it's just, you know, I don't know if, it, if it's Bitcoin will be the, the tool for the coffee. Yeah. I just want to say thank you for one, all of the work that you do and coming here to expand our minds, thinking about what's next and also reminding us of where we came from. So Sam Rad, thank you so much for coming to the studio. Thank you, thank you for having me. And um, yeah, I hope that this is this is helpful for everyone who's on the, the other end. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast. For links to the resources mentioned in today's episode, or for more information on how we can help you build, run and grow better businesses, 
visit estudio.life or see the show notes of this episode. The Entrepreneur Studio is powered by Heartland. When people want a partner they can trust to help them build a remarkable business and make every day work better, they do it with Heartland. Because we're entrepreneurs, we're people, and we get it.